Amen. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, good. You haven't got tired of it yet. That's good. That's good because we got a lot more Christmas for you. A lot of you guys are, are trying to get everything ready. I want to say real quick, too, uh, I had, I've had a lot, of, a lot of you guys have been just so faithful in giving uh, this year for Christmas. As far as you've been coming to me and you've been saying, um, hey, do you know of any needs we have in the church and the community that I can help with? And so we've been able to point a lot of people and connect them with people who have needs. That being said, I had somebody last week give me multiple $50 gift cards to HEB. And they said, give this to somebody who, who is in need. Give it to somebody who could use it and it would help this time of year. So I have $50 gift cards to HEB. I'm going to make it real easy because they said, just you know, you pray about who to give it to. If this time of year has been a struggle for you, and it, whether you're, you're just saying, well, I don't know how we're going to pay for Christmas food, we need more presents, we need something, or maybe it's just it's made things really tight for you this year. Um, come up to me after service and just say, hey, can I get one of those? <clears throat> I'm getting all choked up thinking about it. Can I get one of those cards? All right? I'm not going to give you the full drill. We're not going to, look, if it's going to be a benefit to you and bless you, then that is a blessing from someone else that they have given for you. So until they're gone, I will give them out to anybody who could use it. Now, if you are just rolling in money right now and you're like, extra $50, right? Then please just not, all right? Use, <laughs> let, somebody, let somebody who really needs it right now, it's a little tighter right now, um, um, you know, get those gift cards. But if that could be a blessing to you and your family right now, um, just come up to me afterwards, be confidential, be just you and me. You don't have to give me the full explanation. I'm not going to run you through the ringer. You come up and ask for it, and I'm going to give it to you, and, uh, and I pray it blesses you and your family. Amen? Amen? Amen. God is so, so good. Well, we're mere days away, mere days away, guys, from Christmas, and I hope, Rockpile Church, that you're ready, and I'm so excited that you are here with us in person or in the gym. Gym people, where you at? There they are. Or if you're watching online, I know a lot of people told me we're going to be catching online because uh, we, we can't make it this morning. Some people said they're going to have to follow in later. A lot of people have left already for their vacations. But either way, I'm glad that you are joining us. And I hope that you're ready for Christmas. And I want to do a quick poll. I want to find out more about you. All right. I want to find out what kind of people you are, really. Now, we could get into the whole fake tree versus real tree debate, okay? I have been a part of that debate. I used to be a staunch real tree person, and then, um, and then we moved down here and fake trees became easier, so I converted, okay? I did, I did. But there's another type of person that I want to figure out who you are, because it's the type of people that believe that a tree, a decorated Christmas tree, should be uniform and have nice matching colors and it's color-coded in just a way that each, each ornament is spaced apart and it matches all the decor in the living room. It looks like a Christmas magazine. And then there's the rest of you that believe it should look like an elf vomited on your Christmas tree every craft that your kid has made for the last 20 years. And, uh, and I want to know who's who. So who is the decorated... I knew as soon as you started laughing that you she was like, that's me... And Jacob doesn't know what to do with that, does he? I can see the look on his face now. Okay, who's the decorated? Okay, very specific. Now, okay, okay, so who's vomit? Just tree vomit. Just, okay, 
All right. There's more of the craft people in here than I would have guessed. We're to the point now that we decorate our tree, and I feel bad because we love our kids' crafts, but we didn't, like, mark any of them, and they were too young, so a lot of them are like, who made this? We're like, we don't know. We don't. One of you two made this, we think, or this is something we found, and it put a hook on it. <laughs> Merry Christmas, and it goes on the tree, and it's fine. It's fine. So I, um, we're, we're kind of a hybrid. What we do is we actually, we let the kids decorate. We put all the stuff on that just, it's, it's the crafts that they made over the years, and then my wife comes afterwards and tries to somehow tie it all in and tries to fix it all. And so uh, it, it, it works. It works for us, and that's fine. Either way, I hope that it's done and you're ready to enjoy it. But I want to I encourage you, too. If you're not, if you don't have all your shopping done, if you don't have all your decorations up, if you haven't found every place to put every little light-up village or, or all the garland, or you haven't just done every single part of your house, or, or you're going through that list, look, don't, you know, don't sweat it. Let's not trade the mediocre stuff for the bigger things this Christmas. I think this is a great Christmas for us to really celebrate and really think about what Christmas actually means. And so don't be stressed out. I want to encourage you guys to enjoy it this week. There may not be enough turkey or decorations or clean rooms or even presents, whatever that means, but there's enough Jesus to make Christmas special. So don't get sidetracked. And this morning... We're going to read another nativity account. Now, we have been reading in the last uh, couple weeks about uh, Luke's, Luke's account of the nativity, Jesus' birth story. And this, we're, this week, we're going to read a different account. Now, certainly, John's gospel contains less shepherds and less traveling, less babies even, but, uh, but it's still a beautiful account of the nativity. So if you open up your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. If you, have, uh, if you have your Rockpile app on your phone, you can find all the scriptures there. I see Randy waving frantically in the back. Oh, okay. Babies can be distracted. He's like, I was waving at a baby. <laughs> I thought you were trying to get my attention. I was like, hi, Randy. Hey, hey, in the back. It's good to see you, man. Glad you. Merry Christmas, Randy. And Merry Christmas, Elias. So, very good. All right, we will have the words on the screen as well. We have some Bibles in the back, too. If you need a Bible, please take one. That is for you to keep. Let's read this beautiful Christmas passage that John gives us in John chapter 1. Starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Can we pray over God's word today? God, we worship you and we thank you for this beautiful passage, this anointed word. God, this Christmas message that you have given us through John. And today, God, I pray that we will understand the truths found in it, God. We ask that your Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that inspired these words, the same Holy Spirit that is present with us here in the service, that Holy Spirit will reveal to us the truths found in it, God, that you will illuminate the truths that are found in your word. Help us to see, God, how they apply to us and the changes, God, that that we need. Because, God, I know so often we still have our own blinders up. God, I pray today that I'll speak this manner, I'll speak this sermon in a manner that's glorifying to you, God. I will say the words that, that you want said, Lord. Let it be from you. We praise you and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in the four Gospels, we see the life of Jesus. Now, John's account of Jesus' birth, obviously, is a little bit more metaphorical than, uh, than, say, Luke or Matthew's. And forget Mark. Mark has no time for babies, right? He just jumps right to the baptism. He's not, he's just, he's an action guy, okay? But, but John's account, it's a little bit more uh, poetic. It's a little bit more metaphorical. But even though John doesn't give as much a historical play-by-play as Matthew or Luke, I venture to say it's still one of the richest and deepest accounts of the nativity story. It's still a beautiful Christmas passage for us to look into. You can garner a lot about Jesus' birth and what it means even without some of the laid-out descriptions. I remember I I read something years ago that C.S. Lewis was once asked by these young writers that would write into him different questions, and they asked him some tips on writing. And one of his tips for writing, he said, look, when you want someone to fully grasp something, don't just give them... Uh, you know, uh, exact details, but rather use rich descriptive language that helps the reader fully grasp in their mind and heart what is going on. For example, in other words, you wouldn't just say, it was very cold outside when I left the house this morning. Rather, you might write something like, when I stepped outside, the, the Arctic air bit into my skin like a thousand icy needles and my breath came out like steam and tendrils of fog. And you would get the idea, man, it must have been really cold. And I love reading John's account because even though it's Matthew and Luke have such beautiful wording, and I love reading about the angels and the shepherds and the dream, there's just something about reading John's account that helps me to really feel and understand in my heart and mind the beauty of the birth of Jesus. I feel like that's kind of like what John has done. He, he already knows too. I understand that he wrote this later. So can you imagine John sitting there? He walked with Jesus. He wrote down accounts. If you've watched the Chosen series at all, I love that they always have John sitting there with a notebook being like, like he was even sitting outside where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he's just writing it down like, oh, that's good. That's good. And so you, you get the idea that maybe John, as he's pinning all this later on, he's like, well, look, Matthew and Luke, they already dove into it. I, ho- I want people to really grasp this in a different 
way. And so he gives us this very poetic wording about what the birth of Christ means. A couple things that we would notice from this. First off, this passage tells us exactly who Jesus is. Think about just this small little passage. We learn exactly who Jesus is. He even starts off, he pulls no punch. He says, Jesus is God, and he has been there since the beginning. You know, all these different thoughts that come up of Jesus being this created that he, later on, that he was, he was a man who was created, and he was just perfect enough just to become somebody that could pay for our sins, or all these different, different things that were, were heresies that popped up. And he says, no, no, you need to understand that Jesus is God. He has been around since the beginning. In fact, all things were created through Jesus. And he says also that Jesus is the light that has been brought into the darkness, a dark world, which we'll talk about. And certainly those who were there hearing this and reading this, they understood what it meant to live in darkness. And he says Jesus is the light. He says that Jesus is the sun. This can get kind of confusing. Would anybody like to stand up and give us a full explanation of the Trinity real quick? So Trinity is a, I love the beauty and the mystery of the Trinity, but it's so hard for me, even, you know, having studied it and gone through all the, like, sometimes I'm like, okay, so God the Father and the Son, he sent his only Son, and it's God himself. It's God himself as the Son, who in himself, Lord, you're blowing my mind. Because it's part of the mystery of the gospel, right? It's hard for us in our finite thinking to often wrap our minds around just the, the insane awesomeness of God, and that God could send his son. It says he is the son, but then it also says that he is the incarnation of God. In other words, that God himself became flesh, and that what we understand is called the hypostatic union, that Jesus came as fully God, 100% God, and he's fully man, 100% man. He's fully God and fully man. In the hypostatic union, he is both. He's not half and half. And he lays all this out for us right here in this passage. Seriously, it's such a rich passage. It's full of life-changing biblical truths if you understand the truths. If you grasp the truth that John is laying out here, it'll change your life. I believe that. Jesus is Lord. It's undisputable if you consider the Bible to be the Word of God, and I hope you do. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a, a, a powerful speaker. Jesus is God. That's one of the things that makes Nativity such a beautiful story, the idea that God the Father not only sends His Son, but His Son, who is God in the flesh, to be born in this fantastic palace, surrounded by people cheering and kings and with a parade. Don't you just love the Christmas story? Is that how it plays out? I think the story is much more beautiful because of the way it plays out. Do you know why I think it's more beautiful? Because it's not the way I would have designed it. If somebody asked me, granted he didn't, but if he asked me, he's like, how do you think? That, that God should dwell among us? How do you think that the Savior should come into the world? I'm like, oh, oh, do it on fanfare. I mean, do it with, the, with everything. Let there be chariots, lots of people, ticker tape, everything. Go crazy. Just, man, I want it to be insane. If it was today, it needs to be live streamed. I mean, everything. Have, for crying out loud, we'll live stream the birth of a giraffe, and we'll get excited about it for months up until it happens. This is... Jesus is more important. He needs to be bigger. And yet God, in his wisdom, said, actually, you know how I'm going to do it? 
I'm going to do it out of one of the smallest, most overlooked towns. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to bring the king of kings into the world using a stable. I'm going, to, I'm going to go ahead and have him raised by a blue-collar family that everybody's going to overlook and no one's going to think about. And then even when they leave Bethlehem, they're going to wind up in Nazareth. He's going to be raised in a town that is actually despised that people are going to say nothing good comes out of. And I'm, I would go, God, have you thought about this? Are you sure you thought about all the details? I mean, people are already saying, you're starting behind the eight ball to go ahead and say that you're going to bring about the Messiah from a place that people have already written off, and God's like, that's how I'm going to do it. Why? Because I'm the Lord. And trust me, it's better. And as a side note, this is why we can never pretend to know what God can bring good out of. I mean, for many, look at 2020. You know, 2020, we, we see it as a horrid year, a year of tragedy and upset, or, or maybe at best, sometimes we see it as the year that wasn't. I have found myself saying way too often this year with everything, whether it's like vacations or birthdays, conferences, all these different things. You know what I found myself saying? It's just not going to happen this year. We'll just see what happens later. Why? Because everything's canceled. Everything is shut down. Nothing is happening. Everything is on hold. This is the year that wasn't. And you know, wouldn't it be just like God to go, I've done more this year than you could ever see. I am bringing so much good out of 2020. And I could go, but God, that's not the way I would do it. He's like, exactly. You can't see it yet, but I am at work. And there's going to be so many good things. And I truly believe there's going to be so many good things that come out of 2020 that we don't even know yet. We don't even see yet. Yet God is at work. And I'm sure that people thought about it then, too. I'm sure Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and later the, the, the Magi and even years later, all that Jesus came in contact with, the disciples, I'm sure all of them had their ideas on the way that it could have been done or that the way Jesus could even be doing it then. I mean, you got to think about it. Jesus came into the world and there was still Roman oppression. There was still evil kings. There was still struggle, whether that was Herod, which I mean, like right when Jesus came in, we're like, oh, the Savior has come. And Herod's like, we're going to kill all the children in Bethlehem. Darkness, tragedy. Or years later, as the disciples were following Jesus and, you know, they're, they're under oppression, like from Nero and all this persecution. And I'm sure there's so many times they're like, God, are you sure that you know what you're doing? And God's like, just trust me. I know what I'm doing. I'm in control. I need you to trust me. I'm pulling good out of this. Kind of like I said, a side note, but I think it's an important side note when we look at the nativity to realize that God's going to do it his way. It's not going to be our way, but it's going to be better God knows better. And to me, that, that brings up so much more hope when I recognize that. Something to consider. And that brings up another thing in this list that John lays out. Not just who Jesus is, but what that means for us. Look what he said here, John 1.4. He says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He said, In him was life. In him was and is life, the Zoe life, all life, physical and spiritual now, the life that we experience now, the life that we experience in the future. Jesus is life. We've talked about it before, but have you ever heard people say that something is life? People are like, music is life. 
fishing is life. I've never heard anybody say algebra is life. I'm sure that person exists. Yes? Did you raise your hand? Oh, I thought you raised your hand, Janessa. I saw. She's like, me, I love algebra. Yeah. Just, she's finding X all over the place. It's crazy. Right? You hear people talk about that. They say different things are life. And we know, like deep down, we know those are exaggerations, don't we? I don't hear somebody tell me that something is life and think that's what that person is all about. Even if they're really, really into it. Like even if you really, really love fishing. Even if you have all the fishing gear. You dress every day in fishing gear. You constantly go out to different places and find fishing spots. You post endless pictures of you holding fish slightly out in front of you so it looks bigger so that everybody can see it. Even if your name is Kirk Cotter, we know that you like fishing a lot. But we also know that fishing is probably not your, your everything physical and spiritual, you're now and in the future. It's not your life. We recognize it still as a hobby, something that you really, really enjoy. John said that Jesus was life, and he was saying it without any exaggeration at all. And I think it's important for us to recognize that. John wasn't just throwing words around. Part of what makes John's account so beautiful was that he didn't waste any word. There wasn't a careless word. John wasn't sitting there with a thesaurus. In fact, you can read that at the beginning part because there's a lot of words that are repeated over and over again. And sometimes you're like, you already said that. He wasn't sitting there just thinking, how can I make this just sound good? It was very poetic. It was very beautiful. But at the same time, every word held weight. And he said, Jesus is life. Actually, he said, in Jesus was life. So it's not just about Jesus being really, really, really important. And he is. It's that without Jesus, we can't know real life. Without Jesus, we can't know real life. And it's that important. Romans 8.10, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. He says that Jesus is the life inside of us. It's only through Jesus can we experience the full Zoe life, that perfect life, that life that only Jesus can offer us. And then he tells us why. He says because the life that Jesus brings is the light of men, is the light of mankind. And if you did your homework this week, hopefully you did. I'm not grading it. But if you did your homework this week and you sat there and you read, you got your Bible out and you sat there and you got your, your cup of hot chocolate or your cup of cider and you, you got away by yourself and you read through the different passages that we had you read, you read from Isaiah chapter 9 where we read about the coming Messiah who would be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. But that prophecy started out with what in Isaiah 9-2? He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. This is a prophecy about Jesus who's coming, and he says, the people who walked in darkness. What happens when you walk in darkness? 
you stumble. Or I'll tell you what happens, you're going to stub your toe on the laundry basket that, that's your fault initially because your wife has been telling you and asking you for a week and a half graciously to put away your shirts and unmentionables, but you haven't done it yet. And so when I come out of the bathroom at night, I do, I turn off the light and then I have to navigate because we got like the dog ramp and other things. And I'm bad about leaving stuff right here, right here in front of the bathroom. And I turn off the light and think I can make it. And it's like the obstacle course. I can't, which is why my pinkies hate me. Because that's the danger of walking in darkness. And to understand what kind of darkness Isaiah is talking about, you'd have to look at the chapter before. Because we can write this off and just go, oh, he's talking about darkness, I understand darkness. But in Isaiah chapter 8, the chapter before this, we actually get to see this darkness. Throughout chapter 8, Isaiah admonishes the people. He says things like this, Don't fall into the, into the conspiracies of the world. Don't fear what the world fears. Honor God alone as holy and sacred. Don't seek spiritual answers from ungodly spiritual means. Instead, follow God's word and his testimony. And he says, because the people have failed to follow these instructions, they will be like people who, quote, have no dawn, or as we call them, Alaskans. And then he says this in the very final verse, chapter 8, verse 22. He says, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Do you see how it makes the prophecy found in Isaiah 9 so much more powerful when you read about what darkness looks like and that the people themselves were stuck in the anguish of darkness? They said no dawn was coming. Can you imagine one morning if we woke up and we started going about our day and we thought, wow, it's still dark outside. I must have got up extra early. But as we waited and waited and waited, no dawn ever came. How much panic and anguish and terror would that bring to us? And the people walked in darkness. And he says, but I've got good news for you because a great light is coming. The people, the people that are walking around stubbing their toes in the darkness, they're going to be given a great light, a great light. What imagery does great light conjure up? Great light. It's no small light. Like, I love this. Don't let how Jesus came into the world fool you. Because he came, not with a lot of fanfare. He came, not as a, a king would normally come. He came, and yet yeah, they're angels, Heavenly hosts singing to the shepherds, but not a lot, not a huge crowd. The shepherds came. The magi, they, they sought him out. But yet Jesus was a great light. You ever notice, you can't judge a, a, a light by the flashlight size anymore. Have you noticed that? Parents, I'm going to give you, uh, future parents, or perhaps parents who, uh, maybe your kids aren't there yet, I'm going to give you a, a tip. I'm actually going to tell you a secret. Um, your kids are going to steal all your best flashlights. I don't know what it is, but I, I love a good flashlight. I do. You ever want to know what to get me? You're like, what can I get, Matt? I'm, now I'm going to get like a thousand flashlights. My wife's like, what are we going to do with all these flashlights? Um, but I love a good flashlight. And yet my flashlights walk off 
all the time. I was like, where's my flashlight? I find them out in the lawn. I find them hidden this. I find them in the kids' room because my kids love to steal bonnets. Back in the day, maybe that wasn't a big issue because to get a bright light back in the day, your flashlight had to be one of those like three and a half foot long mag lights that held 22D batteries and you could bludgeon a small rhino with it. <laughs> you have to worry about your flashlight disappearing because your kid couldn't lift it. But now, like I, I brought one as an example here. Like right now, like this is not a very big light, but I mean, is that bright? Yeah. I shouldn't have flashed on the guy who's bigger than me. All right. Um, that's everyone. I don't know. Everyone's bigger than me. It's, it's a bright little light. Like this is, this is one that's like a USB charging thing. But, you know, they've got these little lights now that you can land a plane from three miles away and signal them, and it's like nothing. They've got lights now that they have to put warnings on. They're like, you'll get arrested if you shine this up. Because it's crazy how bright these lights can get. Jesus is a great light. Think about that. A powerful light. John said that the light shines in the darkness, verse 5, and the darkness has not overcome it. That Jesus is a light so powerful that darkness doesn't have a chance. Can we get excited about that for just a minute? Because guys, just like the people living in Isaiah, I think we understand darkness a little bit. I think we see darkness. We hopefully recognize darkness. But while we recognize darkness and we see darkness play out, do we remember that darkness doesn't have a chance? It doesn't have a chance against a great light. Darkness can't compete, and whether it was the darkness that, that held Israel in bondage or the darkness that Jesus walked in, or even, guys, the darkness that's still to come. Jesus says as much in John chapter 16. He's talking to the disciples, and he's discussing with them. And guys, we're hanging out a lot in John today, so hopefully you're jumping around with us. But he's talking to them about the peace, like we talked about last week, and how there won't be overall peace in the world quite yet. We don't know when the end of the age is coming. It, it, like I said last week, it may be in our lifetimes. It might not be in our lifetime. Many generations have passed. We're seeing a lot of things, by the way. I'm not one of those people that looks to, to constant end time stuff. We are seeing so many things happen right now that I'm like, it could be any time. Be ready. But we know that we are, we are living in non-peaceful times. But Jesus says this to the, the believers there in John 16, to the disciples, and he's discussing upcoming struggles. And in verse 33, he said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Overcome. I have overcome the world. Jesus is a great light that overcomes darkness. Do you see now why John was so adamant about the wording in John chapter 1? Do you see why it wasn't just throwaway words? Like people use, we even use the word light. I've heard people describe Christmas. What's Christmas about? And they're like, well, it's just this, it's, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's about uh, light. Okay, well, what's that light look like? It's, uh, well, it's, it's, um, it's uh, light, it's bright, it's a bright light, it's, um, it's being good. It's uh, people are nicer, and it's just it's lighter. John says that Jesus is the light, because there's no artificial light that can overcome the darkness. 
There's no other light source that can truly overcome the darkness. It's not, like I said, just some ambiguous light that we're talking about. John carries this theme throughout the book of John about Jesus being the light. In fact, when John is, as the chosen would have you you know, believe that he's, John is sitting out there listening in in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus and Jesus talking together, the Pharisee Nicodemus. And we get this beautiful chapter where Jesus is talking about both the love of God, one of the most famous passages and, and verses that we would know. But he's talking about the love of God. He is also talking about what it means to be born again. But he also talks about the judgment that comes from not believing in Jesus. And it holds a pretty strong warning here in John chapter 3, verse 19. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus ain't messing around. Jesus is drawing some pretty clear lines here. He says, either we love the light or we don't. Either we embrace Jesus or we continue to stub our toes in darkness. As believers, we aren't called just to, to believe. We're called to leave the darkness, guys. We're called to leave the darkness behind. Jesus came to be the light. John 8, 12 hanging out a lot. And John again says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John keeps coming back to it, doesn't he? He keeps hitting on this theme. He says again in chapter 12, verse 44, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Guys, Christmas is a great opportunity for us to take a good hard look at why Jesus came here. Do you know what that message is? It's repentance. That's the first thing Jesus preached. As soon as Jesus started preaching, verse won't be up there, but in Matthew chapter 4, the very first message that Jesus, as he started preaching to the people, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's strange because that was probably not a word that you would expect from Christmas. But it's so important that we recognize that Jesus came to be the light so that we would leave the darkness so that we would not remain in darkness, so that you and I could have the light of Christ in our lives. Yet we say we love the light, while well, so often we remain in darkness. How? I think it's because we think we can have a, a God part of us. And I want you guys to hear me, and I hope that you hear my heart right now. In fact, rather, I hope that you hear God's heart right now. But I think so often we have we have learned in our society, even our Christian culture, that we can have a God part of us. 
that we can, you know, uh, maybe we, the part that digs Christmas and Easter, the part that may show up for Sundays, the part that has the slight Jesus-y things and Jesus parts of us. And then we have the daily life part of us, right? It's the separation thing. We can have some things that look like God. We can have some things that, 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 that you know, appear to be godly in our lives, but we still have the other side of us, so much of us that, that remains in darkness, the part of us that wants an easy life or to cut corners or the, the, to have peace with the world's systems and ideas like in Isaiah's time, or even the part of us that still wants the sins that Jesus came to save us from. Yet Jesus came with what message as being part of that light? He came with a message of repentance. So look, I have come to bring light so that you won't remain in darkness so that you can be out of the darkness. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus being fully God and fully man is also supposed to help us understand that we are to be fully crucified and surrender to God and fully daily living now, and the two are, are one, that they're combined. We don't have this one side of us and then this other side of us and that they're just 50-50, right? We don't have a God part and a non-God part. It's not a 50-50 equation. We are images of God. Guys, we have our kind of, I hope I'm not starting anything like theological here. It's kind of our own little hypostatic union going on. Where we say, I'm fully crucified to God. I'm fully living for God even in my daily life as I live here on this earth because the two cannot be separated. We can't walk in light and remain in darkness. Jesus came with a message of repentance to leave the darkness and come to the light that only he offers. And I hear people go, Matt, are you, are, you, are you preaching a sin message at Christmas? Are you crazy? This isn't the time to preach a sin message. This is the time to preach happy messages. And this is time to, have, uh, to, to be festive and everything else. And I, again, I hope that you hear my heart because this message isn't just about sin. It's about repentance. I think sometimes we, we don't correctly understand what repentance is. Repentance includes sin only because a part of repentance is to turn from sin. But really, the word repentance, it basically means to change your mind and to change your whole line of thinking. So Jesus says, I came to this earth to bring light because you're in darkness, and I came to bring change not just to this world, but to bring change to your life. You should be changed because Jesus is in your life because you can be. Guys, because you don't have to remain in darkness anymore. You can now be free in Christ, free of the sins, free of the bondage, free of the world's thinkings, free of trying to please society, free of all the things that hold us back from living godly lives because we can walk in the light of Christ. And he says, look, I have called to bring you to repentance to change your mind, to change your way of thinking. I mean, Paul echoes this over and over again throughout the Bible. He talks about transforming your mind or thinking about things that are lovely and pure, not focusing on those things. He says, look, when you die to Christ, you start becoming a different person. The old is gone and the new has come. Now, is it always instantaneous? Because if you're here right now and you're like, well, dude, I'm still struggling with some things that I've struggled with before. And guys, we've talked over and over again these last few weeks about the beauty of the good news and that God offers us grace when we deserve wrath. God is awesome like that. But make no mistake, he did call us 
to come to the light and to walk in the light and not remain in darkness. The real light of Christ exists not on a Christmas tree or on your house or even on this stage, but in the knowledge that Jesus brings life and that life is the light of mankind for all those who repent and truly make him Lord of their lives. And one of the reasons, guys, this is so freeing is because we're still living in a dark world. But we don't have to live in darkness. I love the stories of uh, you go back to Exodus. And I I think what it must have been like to be the Israelites there as the plagues hit and all the different plagues. I I wonder sometimes how the Israelites might have been affected because obviously, um, you know, the, the Egyptians were affected. But the Israelites were spared from the plagues. One of those plagues was what? Darkness. I really wish I knew how that played out. Like, I, I, I don't. I wasn't there. And um, the Bible just says that they lived in, you know, the Egyptians lived in darkness. But I wonder what the Israelites experienced. I wonder what they saw. I wonder what kind of miracle kept them from the darkness while some were under that plague of darkness. But guys, what I can say is the beauty of it. As Christians, we can be living in what is still essentially a world steeped in darkness for those who don't have Christ. We don't have to be in it. We can be in this world and live in the light of Christ, which means we're not affected like everybody else is. We're, we don't, the sky isn't falling every time anything happens. Anytime the world steers more and more this direction, and there's times I'm so tempted, man, I see things that make me go, what? And I look at the world and the belief systems and what's being taught our kids and, and all these different things that are happening right now, and I just go, oh, it's darkness. It's darkness. Lord, such darkness. And don't get me wrong, as we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, our world should break for a world. Our, our heart should break for a world in sin. It should drive us to our knees. But there should also be a freeing aspect of going, I I, I pray for the world. I break for the world. I'm going to do my best, as we'll talk next week, about bringing that light to the world. But you know what? I'm not in darkness. No matter what this world does, no matter what happens, no matter what circumstances, I'm in the light, baby. I'm walking in light. I've got the light of Christ and you go, well, the dark is getting so dark. Can't overcome the great light that is Jesus. Oh, but man, this ha- doesn't matter. He overcame the world. And darkness cannot overcome the light of Christ. That's a beautiful thing for us to recognize. But are we walking in the light? John wrote more books. First John, for example. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is... You guys aren't going to play with me this morning, are you? Let's try it again. That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's both a warning and a beautiful reminder. We cannot walk in darkness, but we don't have to. We don't have to. And you may have heard this message and go, oh, you're, you're, what what do I need to do then? 
How do I fix this? Well, again, it comes back to the fact that you can't. But when you surrender your life to Christ and you let him and the Holy Spirit begin to work on your life and you ask Jesus to both cleanse you from the sins, to save you from the very things that we wrestle with, but also to continue working on us, man, God does the work in our lives. And it does mean that we have to repent. It does mean that we have to change our way of thinking. There are things that we must go, okay, Lord, I surrender this side to you, God. You know the sins that I struggle with. Some of you guys know the exact sins that you've messed with from the beginning. And you may be trying your best to follow God right now in many ways, but you're still holding on to this one area of darkness in your life. And Jesus said, I saved you from that. You go, but God, I just, I, I don't, this. and he says, look, I have not called you to remain in that darkness. Let my light overcome it. I can't even explain how this fits you personally right now. I can't, because each of you is in a different place. You're going through different things. You're struggling in different ways. We're all struggling in different ways. And if this morning is just a good reminder to us that one of the Christmas messages that Jesus came with is that he was bringing light into a dark world, that we as followers of Christ no longer have to remain in darkness, then let's take that word and let's run with it. This morning, I want, I want you just to ask, Lord, am I walking in the light? Lord, am I walking in the real light of Christ? Have I left the darkness behind? Have I repented of, of my, my old ways of thinking? Have I turned? Have I changed? Have I allowed God to work in and through me? Am I walking in the light? Will you guys bow your heads with me for a moment? Might be a, a strange Christmas message. I don't know. But I feel like it's such a fitting Christmas message for us. Jesus came, just like he came to the people that were reading Isaiah chapter 9, those in anguish, those walking in darkness. Jesus came so that we wouldn't have to. But he also said, as he told Nicodemus there as they sat together, he said, there will be, there will be those that would love to remain in darkness. They will run from the light. They don't want the light to expose the very things that we hold on to because we, we love them too much and we haven't put God in his proper place and we haven't recognized Jesus for being the light that he is. And this morning, I just ask, look, if you're still walking in darkness today, come to the light. Allow Jesus to shine the light in your life, to expose areas of darkness that you're still stubbing your toes in, but you don't have to. And I promise you this, it's better. It's better in the light. That's why Jesus came. This morning, if you're here and you've never taken that step just to say, okay, I'm, I'm giving myself over to the light. I want to start following Jesus. I encourage you to do that today. Maybe you're here and you'd say, I, I, I mean, I go to church. I've, I've started a relationship with Jesus. I, I try to read my Bible from time to time. Maybe it's uh, years ago or whatever, but I really feel like I'm still walking in the same darkness that I've always struggled with. And I'm, I'm here to tell you today that God wants to set you free from that. 
So this morning, let's just pray together. Because I think it applies to all of us that we can be so thankful that Jesus came and brought light to a darkened world and brought light to a darkened life, the darkness in us. So this morning, we just in your own way, just thank him. And then if you're here this morning, you say, but I haven't started that relationship, then just tell him. Today, Lord, I want to make you Lord of my life, surrender my life over to you to follow you, to walk in your light. Lead me out of the darkness that I've been walking in. Shine your light in my life. Expose areas. And that should be a prayer for all of us right there. Lord, will your light expose any darkness in us, things we have held on to, things that we remain in? God, that we, have, that we have bought the lie that the world is selling that darkness is somehow better or more appropriate. Today, God, let us walk in the light of Christ. God, we repent. We repent of darkness. We repent of wrong thinking. We repent of trying to live our lives half surrender to you, God. We repent of trying to walk with a God part of us and then a daily life non-God part of us, God. God, we repent from, from looking at light but not walking in it and instead embracing darkness. Today, God, may we be people that embrace the light of Christ, that we not take for granted what the Christmas message is really all about. It's not just a beautiful baby story. It's about a baby who came as God in the flesh that we would no longer remain in darkness. And if we're to fully understand and take Christmas seriously, God, we have to understand that in our lives. Help us to embrace the light, to walk in the light. Free us from the darkness. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, God, myself included today, may we be people of light. May we be people who love the light. We worship you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. This morning, as we go back into a time of worship, God, I want to encourage you. And again, I hope you did your homework this last week, and I don't have homework for you this week. Some of you might be grateful for that. But if I do have homework, for you. Optional, sure. Take some time this week just to sit and reflect on the light of Christ. Go, go look at lights around the world. That's fine. We're going to find some time this week to go drive around and look at Christmas lights. Some people do up Christmas lights really big, and I appreciate that. I love going around looking at Christmas lights. But when you're seeing all the different colors and the flashing and the projectors and all the different things happening... Let it serve not just as a festive reminder that people like to decorate their house strangely one time of year, but that the lights represent something bigger. That the festivities represent something bigger. That in a darkened world, Jesus is the light. And we get Jesus. That's why he came. This morning, if you're here and, and maybe you, have, you need some prayer requests, you must want to pray with. We've got prayer partners in the back, in the back corner behind the table there. Please feel free to step out and go, go pray with somebody. 
you're in the gym, go find Jessica over there if you want someone to pray with. Maybe you're here and say, I want someone to, to talk with me what it looks like to start. I feel like I'm walking in darkness still. And I don't know how to start moving to the light. Man, we'd love to talk with you back. Come, come grab me. Come find Randy or our prayer partners in the back. But church, don't walk in darkness when he's called us to light. Amen? Amen. Let's go back into a time of worship. Let's think about what Jesus has done for us this Christmas season.